0: Hey everyone, I'm Spencer. I'm Laura. And this is the Married with Board Games podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 35. 35. Hey, so this is a five episode and usually that means we've got a board game trailer, doesn't it? Usually. <laughs> <laughs> usually. So guys, uh, we mentioned that life is chaotic right now in the Williams family. Um, Most so definitely. Definitely. Between a move and, and all that, so we haven't had a chance to get a script out and all that, so we won't have one of those in this episode, but they won't go away forever. Be watching for it.
1: Right. We'll get back to it when we can.
0: Absolutely. Laura, I haven't seen you since this morning.
1: Right. I had to leave town and come back Come back to the house.
0: No. So here we are recording remotely again, hmm. and I say we just get right into the show. How about it? Let's dive in. Alright, so today we're going to talk about some games that we've been playing, we're going to give our thoughts on those, and then we're going to discuss a topic that was brought to us by a listener, a topic about what do you do if your partner or spouse or whoever is not a gamer like you? Right. Oh, the horror. (laughs) So let's begin with, uh, what do you pick? What would you like to begin with? I'll do
1: Rose King.
0: Awesome. All right, so let's hear about it.
1: Right, Rose King is from Cosmos, and this is a very nice. Hey, this kind of fits with our Valentine theme. Two player. It's a two player only game, Mm -hmm. and it's themed of the battle or the War of the Roses. Uh, I I don't know that it necessarily has to have a theme to it. It's a pretty abstract game, but it still fits nicely. Uh, The board is laid out like a map of England and obviously you're either white or red, Lancaster or York for all of my history buff uh, people out there. And you're trying to get side or kind of have a stronghold for your side in the country. And so you want to have loyalty throughout. And so you're going to be placing these little tokens out there with roses on them. One side is white and one side is red. Uh, what I really like about this game is that that's all determined by these power cards. You will have five power cards in front of you face up. Each player will. And they've got different directions. Uh, directly up, directly down, left, right. Or kind of like the catty corner of that. I guess I, I'd rather prefer it to refer to it as like a compass. Uh, north, south, yeah, east, like or the west. directions. Right. And then you also have... Northeast, southeast, and northwest and southwest. And it's got the sword pointing in each of those directions. And a Roman numeral at the top ranges from 1 to 3. And starting with... It starts with the central rose, right?
0: Yeah, the, uh, the, the crown starts in the center. That's
1: what it is, yes. There is a crown pawn. And it starts at the very center of the map. And you decide who goes first. And the first player plays a card and the crown will move in whatever direction that card dictates, however many spaces it dictates. And then the player will take one of those rose tokens out and put it on that space with the crown with their color rose facing up and draw a new card to, or no, you do not draw a new card to refill. It goes to the next player. They do the same. They play a card and move the crown, and place their rose token. You're trying to group your color uh, together and get the high high quantity of your color all together in one clump. One of the big game changers, though, is uh, special cards that you have that can only be used once. The way that Spencer described it to me it was kind of like the Loki cards for Odin's Ravens. You can play it one time and uh, move the crown to an opponent's rose and flip it because normally in gameplay you cannot move the crown to where there already is a rose token so that's a limiting factor when it comes to trying to decide what card to play it can't move where there isn't an open space and you have to move the full number of spaces dictated on the card that you are trying to play but those special cards with they've got It looks like a jousting tournament. It's got one knight on horseback with a big lance. And that's the one card that allows you to flip a token to your color. You only have, is it four or five of them? Four. You only have four of them to play throughout the game. So you have to be wise about how quickly to use those or not. Right, Spencer?
0: (laughs) That's right.
1: (laughs) I say that because Spencer... Used them pretty quickly. I mean, I, I don't think that there really is a too quickly to use them, though, because you've got to get the most out of them in order to get mm-hmm. get points. You just can't determine what your opponent's going to do with them. And you'll continue playing, and there may be a time when you can't. Or you'll run out of cards in front of you. So instead, on your turn, instead of playing a card, you will draw a card. You can only have a maximum of five laying out in front of you, though. And you play until you run out of tokens. Or no one can make a legal move. Meaning you can't uh, play one of your cards because all the tokens are in the way. Or you simply cannot move the crown because it's too close to the edge of the board. And then you'll total up your points, but it's not simply counting your largest group of roses. You square that number. Isn't that right, Spencer?
0: Yeah, you go to each of your groups of of colored roses, and diagonal doesn't count, so they have to all be adjacent, some form or fashion connected, and then you count up the number and those groups each group that you have and you multiply it by itself and that's the amount of points that you get there's also for each group and
1: there's also in the rule book a handy dandy little table there at the back to help you with a quick figuring of your points Mm -hmm. and total it up and there's your score and whoever has a high score wins i really enjoyed this game because of how quick it was It also has a very small footprint. We were able to play this on top of a TV tray.
0: Yeah, that's what we need to do next. Is like top ten games to play on a TV tray, (laughs) and this would definitely be on that list. (laughs) It
1: it was it was quite it was quite entertaining just that fact, but uh, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed how fast paced it was. And
0: yes, I you go ahead. I was yeah, I was just gonna say I really enjoyed that aspect of it that you know just a real quick back and forth, you go, I go, you go, I go, there's really not a whole lot of dithering back and forth of what should I do, especially when a lot of the times you're kind of restricted on where you should go and you may only have one or two options.
1: Right. I agree with you. I mean, you do kind of feel like there's only so much um, strategy you can employ in this game because... Mm. You you have to think ahead a little bit, but you can't think ahead too far because you're limited by how many cards are laying in front of you, and you have no idea where your opponent is going to be moving the crown token next. Um, right. But I I really liked this, and I thought it was I thought it was a lot of fun, and so I really enjoy this one, and I highly recommend it. Do you have anything else to add?
0: I do. One of the things that I realized that you can do is you can kind of. Set up your opponent to basically bait them into going one direction.
1: Well, you can try. By,
0: you can, well, yeah, you can try by maybe like leaving one of your roses un unblocked or you know kind of by itself. So that that way they'd be like, "Oh, this is easy pickings for me to convert to to one of mine." And if they go in that direction, then maybe you can open up the real area you were trying to to build onto and i will say that making large i think the way to go is to make a few large territories as opposed to several small territories because since you're you're squaring the number i mean you can really rack up those points uh, i didn't win when we played i think i had a group I,
1: a grouping of 12
0: you did and I had one I don't think I had one so quite that, that was much, that's one hundred
1: and forty four correct
0: uh yes, it is
1: that <laughs> was one hundred and forty four points in just one of my sections,
0: and I don't believe I even got that many points in the final score, so if you can make those large territories you're you're golden, and I really like that about the game is you've got to really be as strategic as possible to break up those larger territories that your opponent's trying to get so that they can't get that giant multiplier but like you said i mean i agree with everything you said the theme is very thin very abstract but what you're doing is a lot of fun and i i'm with you i definitely recommend this one as a couples game um if there's not too much Take that – I mean, yeah, you're trying to get large territories, but you're not – only, you only have four opportunities in the entire game to directly mess with what your opponent has done. and I don't know. You know I
1: kind of I, – I, I will have to beg to differ with you on that just because <laughs> – uh, sorry. Um, it's okay. I mean, the way we played it, we had the cards laid out in front of us on the table. It wasn't yeah. like we were holding them in a hand.
0: That is true. That is part of the rules.
1: They're supposed to lay out on the table?
0: Yeah, you're supposed to be able to see what everybody has at all times.
1: And so I could look at what you had, and that helped determine to me, oh, I better go this way so that he can't do that one.
0: That is very true. You can try to anticipate what your opponent's doing by seeing what cards they have. Yes. Very good point. I I had forgotten to consider that. So, you know, it's on the surface, not much going on. But again, there's a lot to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot... Lot to that you can use to your advantage to try to to win the war of the roses,
1: and, and that's something that I really like for the historically savvy is you can appreciate this theming of this game, and, and you can really kind of get into it. I I was I believe I was uh, the Lancasters at the time that we played in just trying to win back those those folks to my side and be loyal to me as my for my king and, and that was I thought it was mm. fun it was really neat
0: yeah it's a very enjoyable game small box small footprint from cosmos and this is by the same designer as Alhambra another one of our favorites true well let's move on to another game completely different <laughs> extremely this, different yes this one is Justice League Dawn of Heroes from ABBA Games. Now, this is one that's not out in America yet. Um, I don't know what their plans are for distribution. All I know is this is a company from Spain, and they got the rights to the Justice League, and they put out this um, miniatures, really Ameri- Amerithrashy-style game. And basically the premise is, you've got your your standard DC heroes. I think there are six actual miniatures that come with the game. You've got Batman, Superman, flash, wonder woman, Aquaman, and green lantern. Lantern. Yes. And then you have some other support type heroes that you can use, but they don't have miniatures. They just have cardboard standees. And then you've got some villain miniatures. You've got doomsday Lex Luthor. Gosh, who else? Um, I think um, definitely an um Black Manta, right? Dark Yeah, Black Manta and Dark Side or I don't know if Black Manta is one, but Dark Side is one for sure. Anyway, so you have a few main villain miniatures as well, but again you've got cardboard standees and cardboard uh, chips for things like henchmen, that kind of thing. You can play this game in a campaign style. Whereas what happens is there are three or four, I think, I believe, no, there are four stories in the game, and each one is broken up into three chapters. So if you want to, you can play through a different story each time you play, which would consist of three or four matches, and things you do in each chapter can carry over into uh, the corresponding the next chapter basically. So if you gain certain abilities or certain items, or whatever, they can carry over to the next one. It's a storyline that goes through, and really, what this game boils down to is you're you're fighting and you're moving around, and so there's an objective depending on which mission you're you're doing. It may be to save these people, or it may be get to get the intel from one end of the board to the other. And usually what it amounts to is one side of the, either the villains or the heroes, with an objective, and then the other side trying to stop them from completing that objective. For example, the most recent one we played was the heroes were trying to get into the hideout to get these files and bring them out to back where they started. Meanwhile, the villains were trying to stop them from doing that. Pretty much on your turn, you can just move and attack and each character has a special way they do these things. Like Batman and Green Lantern have cards that they play. Aquaman and Flash use tokens. They have a have a limited amount of tokens they can play to enhance those basic abilities of attack and move. And then Superman and Wonder Woman, because they're strong characters, use dice. And their actions are modified by the dice they roll. And a similar thing happens... With the villains, except actually, all of the villains only use dice, they don't use the cards or the tokens. They do a good job, I think, of matching up the style of abilities with the style of character. I'll give them that. And the missions are fun, you know, they've got it's very familiar type things from comic book store lines. One thing I really appreciated was they have a tutorial manual. And it's all laid out like a comic book. It's really cool. And the covers of each of the instructions, the uh, missions, and then the tutorial look like comic book issues. It's a really nice touch. However, I think, I, have the, I get the feeling that this production was rushed. The miniatures are small. I mean, they're miniature miniatures. Mm-hmm. And they, they, the quality's not that great which I normally don't care about because, hey, it's miniatures. I'm not one that's going to paint them. I would prefer them over standees. But then you look at everything else, too, and you see kind of a, a recurring theme here that the just some of the, the graphic design, the quality of the components is not very good. There are some pretty... Glaring editing issues in all the books. You can definitely tell it was translated and not translated well. And I feel like I don't know if this is the case, but I feel like they spent a large chunk of their budget on the intellectual property to get the rights. That uh, unfortunately, other areas of the game suffered.
1: Mostly I think it's fun the gameplay, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think it's fun. The way I like to think of it as if you've ever wanted to try something like HeroClix but didn't want to get into that like the upkeep of buying all the different individual models and that kind of thing and playing in a, you know, tournament setting, I think this would be a good option for you because it gives you that same kind of feel. It's got similar terrain, you know, the terrains have different effects on how your characters move and that kind of thing. And it's it's less complex as far as you know the rules to keep up with, and but I will say that there are weird things about some of the characters that have the way one ability works with one character is slightly different with another. So anytime you play it as a different character, you've got to look it up in the rule book. So that kind of slows you down a little bit. Unfortunately, it was a little disappointing. Uh, I was really excited about this game because I love both of us, both Laura and I, love comic books and and especially dc so it definitely fell a little flat for us but it does have potential i think for like i said that that group that wants to try something like you know team versus team building building these teams and going against each other and trying to complete the objectives um if, if that's you know if you're interested in that kind of thing then maybe this might be for you otherwise i don't know if i can recommend this one what about you
1: i agree um after we finished playing it, I just felt like there were some things missing. Um, yeah. Just the way our particular game went. At first, honestly, I thought I was so overpowered because I was mm-hmm. Lex Luthor and I had these, I think I had eight henchmen total. Yeah. Mm hmm. And I w- there were two of you, and so you had four of the heroes. And mm-hmm. I was just, I just thought I was. Overwhelmed, and then ended up you guys took out all of my henchmen, but I still beat you.
0: Yeah, we spent most of our time focusing on them because the way it works, if you run past someone. Adja- directly adjacent to them, you're automatically locked in the combat. So you're stopped and you can't continue moving on until somehow you break away from that combat. Either you defeat somebody or you have a special ability. And that's really how you were able to slow us down in that most recent play was by, you know, distracting us from, which I guess that makes you a good villain. right? Well, <laughs> but...
1: because this particular scenario that we played was based on rounds. It was a countdown of five rounds, four, three, two, one. After each play, and so yeah, it I, I felt I felt like that kind of cheapened it. That I didn't really get to, I didn't have that much strength or muscle, and yet I still mm-hmm. beat Wonder Woman and and Superman and Aquaman and Green Lantern. <laughs> oh no, it wasn't even yeah. Superman wasn't even there. It was Flash. No, it was Flash, it was Flash yeah. Aquaman. Green Lantern and Wonder Woman and
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah um, and that's really all it was was just that engagement role and I uh, yeah. I don't know that cheapened the victory for me
0: I will say that there is another mode of play called skirmish and it it strips out all of the the narrative text and it's just like a a battle type thing where it's it's similar to like a capture the flag kind of thing. You can customize your team based on a point system. So each character has a, has a strength value and you can't go over that when you're building your team and you could put like bad guys and good guys on the team, you know, whatever you want to do. Okay. And then, and then your objective is then to, you put out these bystanders and your objective is to collect as many of those as you can but if you knock out your opponents, you get a certain number of points equal to what their value is, and then if they're carrying a bystander, you get extra points for that as well. So it you know it, it simplifies things a lot and makes it into a smaller, um, smaller arena. Mm-hmm. And I actually had more fun doing that than playing through the missions and the chapters, mm-hmm. which is weird. Do you think it'd be the other way around? Yeah. Because it's neat to play through some of these stories, but, you know, again, it just kind of fell flat. So, unfortunately, we're going to have to pass on that one. Hopefully, we'll be able to see better DC games in the future. All right, Laura, let's talk about our last game for the show. Let's do it. That we're going to give our thoughts on. And this is one that I love so much. <laughs>
1: it's everything you love in one game.
0: It is. It is. It's um. It was everything I hoped it would be. And it's funny because... When it first was announced and was on Kickstarter, I had no interest in it. But hey, word of mouth spreads, right? That's true. And this is Dinosaur Island from Pandasaurus Games. Um, Pandasaurus is doing great.
1: They've done some uh, great stuff lately. So bravo to them. Yeah.
0: So this is the one, Laura, you can feel free to jump in here whenever you want. The way I like to describe it is if you've ever played Roller Coaster Tycoon, which I did for thousands of hours when I was younger. (laughs) That's not an exaggeration. And Jurassic Park, you mash those together, and you have Dinosaur Island.
1: I think that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I don't need to jump in at all.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, what I like is, so this game, each round is is broken up into four phases. This game is for one to four players. Yeah, you can play this solo. I'd like to try that sometime. But yeah, you, can, you play, and the idea is to make the best theme park. And each round is broken up into four phases. I like that organization of the game. Mm-hmm. The first phase is a research type phase. You're trying to collect DNA, which you have these really awesome DNA dice that you get to roll. They
1: are beautiful. And of course, they're amber. I love that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So you can collect DNA and also dinosaur recipes so that later in the game you can craft different types of dinosaurs. Yes. And then the second phase is the market phase. And this is where you can buy things for your park, like... Um, different attractions like food or stands what
1: else? rides yes you can hire certain kinds of specialists different kinds of scientists who do different things or security for your park to help keep your guests safe um, mm-hmm. or even just business people i had a pr guy who helped bring in yeah. extra guests and mm-hmm. I thought th- that was really cool the way they varied that up. And they're all different kinds and different brandings of, or different specialties. And, and that, that added a lot to my experience of the game.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm glad you like that. And then phase three is like your park phase. I don't know if that's what it's called, but. Oh, well, this I is forgot something do... else that you could purchase. Oh, what's that? You
1: can also purchase different, not just like features for your guests, but things for the park itself that um, maybe enhance your security Or enhance your research facility where you're crafting the dinosaurs and and give you more abilities Ah. in each of those areas.
0: Yes. Good catch. Phase three is kind of like an action phase, so you can use the different spaces in your labs to do actions to upgrade your park. You can do things like... And this is a worker placement phase, by the way. So you have a limited amount of workers. And this is done... I like that this is done simultaneously. Because what I do in my park doesn't affect what Laura does in her park. And so I can do things like make dinosaurs. I can increase my security. I can make the capacity for these dinosaurs to be bigger. So I can put more in there. What what are some other things you can do?
1: Well... As you say this, I'm thinking this is like a multi-level worker placement game, right? Yeah. So in phase one, you've got three research, or three, is it three or four? Three. It's three, right? You have three scientists, basically kind of what they are when it comes to collecting DNA or collecting um, those recipes for dinosaurs or increasing your cold storage uh, to keep the DNA in. Uh, When you place your worker, your scientist there, no one else can go there. Mm-hmm. Same for the market phase. This is another phase where when you go and you purchase something there, you remove that item and no one else can any can purchase it any longer.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Right.
1: Um, so I, I think that's a very fascinating part of the game, the, that multi-level worker placement. So mm-hmm. in almost in every phase except for the last phase, except for phase four. Well, technically there, a
0: worker... there's a little bit of a worker placement aspect to phase four when we get to that. I'll, I'll show you what I mean.
1: Okay. All right, so we're back to, we're at phase three, and you're, yeah. you were talking about um, the, all the different things you can do with those workers in your yeah. park. Mm-hmm. You can increase security, mm-hmm. um, which, as you craft dinosaurs that are dangerous, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they increase a threat level, and your security has to be equal to or higher than the threat level in order for none of your guests to be eaten. So. <laughs> It is important to have good security. Um, like you said, you can craft those dinosaurs. You can also just get more money. Yeah, um, there is a, there is a place to put workers down and just immediately collect more coins. Mm-hmm. And that's all I can remember.
0: Yeah, and it's going to change from game to game because you're able to buy those abilities during the market phase. So what you have one game may you may not have the next game. But the idea the idea is you've got your workers and you can do things to make your park better. Well,
1: everybody has the same abilities like that. What you can purchase in that. And phase two is an enhancement of that ability. So maybe to create a dinosaur on your base set there, you have to, you put a worker there and you can put one worker there and make one dinosaur. Mm-hmm. But you can purchase an upgrade that allows you to put three workers there and make more than one dinosaur. Right. And And so yes and no with the same abilities things. Um, sometimes it's just making it easier or allowing you to do it multiple times.
0: Good point. And then from there, once everyone's used up all the workers, you go to phase four, and this is where you get to have visitors come visit your park. And yes. unfortunately, there are two types of visitors. There are <laughs> patrons who pay you, and there are hooligans who don't. You
1: Right, so when you see people's, um, social media pictures of these, the Paying patrons are yellow meeples and the hooligans are purple.
0: Yeah. What you'll do is you'll draw out of a bag a number of visitors equal to your excitement level, which your excitement level is equal to the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs increase your excitement level. So you draw that and then you look and see oh no, I have one hooligan and four patrons. You line them up outside your park, you get get some money for each of your paying patrons. And then you go... Hooligans
1: cut in line and sneak into the park.
0: That's true. They do. And then you go in and place your little visitors on the different placing areas where you have a spot. So whether it's an attraction or a dinosaur or a food stand, anywhere there's a place you can go. This is where I was talking about Lara, the worker placement. You're technically putting these little guys down and they're going to earn you points. So it's it's a stretch. That's something
1: else we forgot about with purchasing... You can purchase more paddock space. Yeah. So originally, whenever you create a dinosaur, you only have one of that dinosaur, Mm -hmm. which means in the way that the game works, there's only one patron can see one dinosaur. So there's Mm -hmm. only one space at that dinosaur to see the dinosaur. But if you purchase more paddock space and then make another dinosaur you can have two di- two patrons there. Of course, mm-hmm. it's going to increase your excitement value. And your threat it's also level. Getting, and yes, I was getting <laughs> to that. It's also going to increase your threat level. So that's an interesting balance you have to strike there yeah. as well. Um, but you want to have enough space that you can have your paying patrons in because, like I said, your hooligans cut in line. So they get in first before you're paying patrons. You have to place them in your park. You cannot I, choose to let them stay
0: outside. I can't tell you how much I love that that mechanism in this game i mean they could have just you love it i do because there's that risk reward thing there's that you know <laughs> you've got to draw and you just Ooh, am i gonna get a hooligan because i mean it, it adds so much it had so much flavor to the game right it's thematic well, it's
1: very thematic it's yes. thematic
0: but it's also like just think of how how plain it would be if it was just everybody was a patron right you have yeah you're you're right. You have- oh, yeah,
1: hooligans never get eaten either yeah. by dinosaurs.
0: Yeah, so if the dinosaurs have to eat guests, they have to eat. You're paying people. So it's like, man, I'm paid to get eaten by a dinosaur. What's up with that? <laughs> and so I, I just, it, the, the thought, and it, who knows if it was a added thing or if it was in there from the beginning, but I love it. I love what it adds to the game. And the, every time you curse the hooligans that you draw or you laugh at when someone draws a majority of hooligans, it's, it's great.
1: And I'd and like to add with that as well, when I was talking about security, your security helped keep your patrons safe, but I actually got a security guy that kicked out hooligans.
0: Yeah. So there's a lot of <laughs> lot you can do to, you know, deal with those, those hooligans. But once your dinosaurs, if they do get loose and eat your patron's you calculate how many are left, and you get a point, or you lose points for each one that's eaten. And then you calculate Oof. how many are left, and you get points um, with with however many that you have. And that's the game in a nutshell. You, there are some yeah. there are objectives. The game ends when. You know, a certain number of objectives are met. They can be things like have twelve dinosaurs in your park, or gain fifteen dollars from patrons in a single round, or or things like that. And they're very reach dro- a
1: certain excitement level. Yeah,
0: and what I realized is they're very very similar to objectives in some scenarios on Roller Coaster Tycoon. And I found that very, a, a very nice nod. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it, it made me recall some fond memories of playing Roller Coaster Tycoon. Cool. So, I love this game.
1: Yes, it's a I lot it. of fun. I, um, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that I'm as head over heels about it as you are, mm-hmm. but um, I enjoy this game. It, it's a lot of fun. And oh, let's talk about the artwork, please. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, go for it.
1: Oh, it, it's it is spot on the money. I was it was harkening back to my days of watching Nickelodeon when <laughs> I was a kid, mm-hmm. and. Those just those super bright obnoxious colors and those ads from the '90s and um, oh, I was thinking of stuff like uh, wild and crazy kids, yeah, or um, uh, how how those graphics and that title sequence went and every and, and all of those things that. It made me think of that, and so I love that how the colors are, the the graphic design, and and everything. It is perfect for this theming.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and, and this one I I think is is one that that'll be fun for a long time. Don't let there's a lot to it. it the setup does take a while, and it, you might be overwhelmed to look at everything at first. But Laura, did you, I mean I would say you picked up on it really quick.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, That's so true. It can look overwhelming, but then um, once it's broken down, and and again, I really like that they clearly label on your player board phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, Mm -hmm. so that you know exactly what is being utilized for that particular portion of the game. And, And it really helps, once you narrow those things down, then that helps ease... That tension of feeling so overwhelmed because okay, right now all I'm dealing with are these DNA dice, increasing my cold storage, or buying um, a recipe for a dinosaur, uh, and 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 that really helps that those are broken up into those smaller yeah. pieces and uh, helps kind of compartmentalize those things.
0: Absolutely, um, it it just it it struck a chord, a good kind of chord with me, and I found I find that I really connected with it. And so if if you like, I mean, you you really do feel like you're building a theme park. And I love that kind of thing. So if you like that kind of thing, or you just like dinosaurs, or you like the 90s, or you like worker placement games, check out Dinosaur Island. All right, Laura, are you ready to talk about gaming with a non-gaming spouse? I think so. I'm not. I need a break. Okay. All right, let's take a quick break and we will be right back. Okay, we're back.
1: We're back. We're
0: back. We're not going anywhere. Okay, so this came to us from a listener, listener Mike Normando. He said he would like to hear our thoughts, some recommendations on games to play with a spouse who is not a gamer. The horror, I think I already said that. You did. But I would like to reiterate.
1: (laughs) No No sense beating a dead horse, That's true.
0: No more dead no more dead horses Stop. <laughs> so dead. i count myself lucky and blessed every day to have lara as my wife who loves playing games and um, i'm lucky that i have have her to to experience these games with and all that comes with it but i realize that there are people who are not as fortunate as me and they don't get to play games with their spouse or their partner.
1: First off, let's say that's okay.
0: That is totally okay.
1: There's nothing wrong with it.
0: Absolutely not. Games aren't for everybody, and we know that. hmm Secondly... Wish, I, okay. I
1: think they could be for everybody, but there are just some people who don't want to do it, and, and that's okay.
0: Absolutely. You've mentioned time and again, Laura, that sometimes it's, you know, the stereotype is... That it's the guy that wants to play, and it's the girl that doesn't. But you mention quite often that sometimes it's the other way around, right?
1: Oh, I, I definitely feel that way. That um, and, and I've seen it evidenced before in, in social media and whatnot that I see that it is not always the... the If we're talking about a relationship like spouses or dating mm-hmm. relationship... Um, that it's it's not always the guy, right? That's that's heading this up. Um, so I just want to get that out there that uh, girls dig it too, and sometimes the guy doesn't dig it.
0: Right, absolutely. And you know who knows what the reason is. I'm sure you do if you're listening to this. It might be that uh, people don't like conflict, or there's a stereotype about board games, or most board games have a weird theme, or. They don't like.
1: Sometimes it's people who they work at a very stressful job all day and simply want to come home and veg out at the end of the day and don't want to have to turn their brain back on.
0: Absolutely. And so, whatever the reason is, we know it happens. And so, we want to take some time now to, first of all, again, like Laura said, it's okay. Do not ever (laughs) try to force somebody to play games with you because you're going to have the opposite effect.
1: Oh, you're going to make it way worse.
0: Yep. Do not pester. Do not, um, you know, make any kind of ultimatums. Like, if you don't pick up this room, you have to play a game with me. You know, <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. You need it to be a something that they amicably agree to. Okay. All right. Um, and if you want to, you know, set up some kind of fun wager where... You know, if they agree to it, you know, if if my team wins the football game, then we're playing a a game together or whatever. You know, come up with something fun like that as long as your partner agrees to it. And then we have some games that we suggest for those particular situations. Right. So, Laura, what types of games are we looking for uh, for those situations?
1: Well, um, first off, I'll say if it's somebody who maybe the reasoning that they don't want to play games is because of competitiveness, but um, spe- more so when it comes to a, being head-to-head against another player, I would say we want to look for a cooperative game. Okay. Um, There are some cooperative games out there, I will admit, that are extremely hard yeah. to beat. Mm-hmm. So that might be another thing you want to consider and possibly want to step back from. Um, for instance, a game that fits that category is Lost Expedition. Uh, it's a cooperative game that we've never... I, I Have you ever won a game of that, Spencer?
0: No, I have not. And you're talking about the one from Osprey Games, right?
1: Right, the Lost Expedition. Yeah. Um, it. It's, it's a hard game, and... Uh, There are some people who simply hate losing, period, even when it comes to cooperative games, because this is a topic we've talked about before, of trying to game with a non-gaming partner. Mm -hmm. And um, so that might be a kind of game that you would want to steer clear from, but if it's somebody who might be a little more amiable to that, just simply doesn't want to go head to head, Mm -hmm. um, I think this could be a good fit because other things that we want to look for for these kinds of games are not lot. you don't want a whole lot of rules, right? Um, a pretty small rule, easy rules explanation.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, that's helps.
1: So that's nothing too complicated or convoluted.
0: I think the key is you want something that where you, you can keep the rules explanation to maybe two minutes because a lot of times you lose people in rules explanations. And if you just start shouting out all these different things that you have to do, People are going to get overwhelmed, especially people who are prone to that kind of thing. So something that's that's easy to jump into is definitely what you're looking for here.
1: Right. What else?
0: Um, I think, like you said, the teamwork aspect works great for partners. I think that theme is is a big factor. You know, um, mm-hmm. think either if it's something that they particularly like. Or something that's not what they don't like. You know, if they don't like zombies, don't bring out a zombie game. So pay particular attention to that kind of thing. Oh, you like Sherlock Holmes? Well, here, here's a game I think you'll really like. And I think that's a great transition for us to get onto our, our games. What do you think? Okay. So let's start with the first one. Sherlock Holmes, Consulting Detective. Right. This one is weird. This one can go from one to eight players. I'd never play it with eight players. No way. And we've talked about this before. I think this makes a great couples game.
1: Definitely. Now, I, I, I will always, I think, prefer it at two players.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, this one is very light in, me- in mechanics, right? You're basically just reading and following mm-hmm. clues, moving around a map. And it's very open world, very, you know, let's let's talk about what we want to do next and we'll go give that a try
1: yeah it's pretty open ended
0: and i don't think that you can really technically lose the game i mean yeah okay let me, let me rephrase you can't like come to a point to where you you lose and the game's over you will eventually wrap up what you think the the solution to the case is you may or not may or may not be right but you'll come to a conclusion one way or the other Mm-hmm. And I like that. And
1: that's something that you can share in with your partner of, after reading through Sherlock's explanation of what really happened, mm-hmm. you may be laughing going, there's no way I would have figured that out. That just didn't come across at all. Or, exactly. oh my gosh, we did it. Look how close we got. Oh, this was awesome. And yeah. uh, I, I think it goes either way with it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's really great to, to just be able to, it's, it's a great one to discuss and talk about together. You know, I you know, you had a good idea for us to go over here, but what about maybe they really meant for us to go over this direction? And it's it's really just as open-ended as it is. Yes, there's a lot of reading. If you don't want to read, you can get the app that does a lot of that for you. It's free, which is really neat. So check that one out. Uh, that that's one that I I knew and I think Mike, the one that the 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 gentleman that that suggested this topic said he was going to pick that one up. And as soon as he said, I was like, yeah, that's that's a good one. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on to one that's not cooperative, but still one I think is appropriate, and that is Potion Explosion.
1: Ooh, very good choice.
0: Yes. Um, and, and by the way, these are in no particular order. These are just ones we think are, are good, good to try. Mm-hmm. And you've heard us talk about this one on the show quite a bit. Um, what I like and the reason why I think it's a good, good one is because it's, it's kind of, you're kind of doing your own thing. So there's not a whole lot of in your face interactions. So for people who don't like being competitive, but at the same time, you are working off of the same hopper where you're pulling the marbles. So you may take some ones that they wanted and you know, there are other ways like the potions, Right. Right. So there are there are plenty of ways to technically derail what your opponent's doing, but it's so easy. I mean, like, what what are you doing on a turn, Lara?
1: Um, you're selecting marbles from the slide track. If, well, you select one marble. Mm-hmm. If the marble that you pull causes two marbles of the same color to come together, that's called an explosion, and you get to take all of the marbles that match that color that touched. Mm-hmm. Um... And you get to add them to your potions. And you're just trying to complete the potion recipes and uh, reach a... You want to get, like, three of a kind or a set of five different potions. And you get these special little markers.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, it, it's, it's very easy to explain. It's not... You don't even have to use any kind of board gaming terms. Like, um, you know, technically there's set collection to this. So... You know, it's it's really easy to explain and get it out there, and so I, I think this would be a really good one to, to get a non-gaming spouse to play.
1: Yeah, it's easy to grasp.
0: Yeah. Okay, next, one we haven't actually played, but just from some feedback we've heard, is Codenames Duet.
1: Yes, some good friends of ours got this, and they really enjoy it.
0: I mean, the ease of Codenames, you know, you've got, it's a word game, so again, not any complex rules, but by making it totally two player and there's like a co-op co-op and there's like a kind of a campaign style to it where you're moving around different locations on a map makes more of a story to it and less abstract um again great one you're trying to work off of each other's strengths by giving them the right clues try to think about your partner and and how they might be thinking i think that's a great choice too um i think
1: it is too and you put it i think that's that's exactly what popped in my head of you know your partner well enough to be able to figure out this clue would help them think to pick this, mm-hmm. um, and that, it really shows off your teamwork.
0: Absolutely. All right, three more, and then we can wrap this up. One that's a little bit more, little bit more rules heavy, you know, relatively, but is a good starting point for cooperative board games, and that's Forbidden Island. Yes. So, this is by Matt Leacock, you know, the same designer of Pandemic. So, you'll see a lot of familiarity between this and Pandemic, but it's it's a little bit easier to grasp, and the stakes aren't as high. You're not trying to save the whole world. You're just trying to escape a... Yeah,
1: you're just trying to get off an island that's sinking, so you... Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> Um, But it's great because it introduces that idea of you've got four actions, we're all working together. How are you going to use those actions? How do we work together as a team to rescue these artifacts?
1: It even employs the uh, different characters with different abilities and and being able to put good abilities together and and use them wisely.
0: Right. Right. So this does, again, this one does have more rules than the rest of them. So just kind of gauge what level your partner's at before you introduce this one. But it's cheap. You know, this is a very inexpensive one. There's You
1: can even get it in app form.
0: Yep. There's Forbidden Desert. And they just announced Forbidden Sky, I think. Something like that. Yes. So there's a lot of directions you can go with this one. And really cool uh, little miniatures and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's Forbidden Desert, or not Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Island. (laughs) Okay, two more, Laura.
1: One game that's become very popular here in our household, uh, simply because our daughter, for some reason, I I don't know why, but she has latched onto this game. Our
0: four-year-old, by the way.
1: Yes. Um, This is Seikatsu from IDW Games. Uh, We've done a live play of it before, and I think... Well, first of all, it's beautiful. It's got Mm -hmm. these beautiful tiles with um, birds and and flowers, artwork on there. And it's just an ease of play game. You Mm -hmm. start out with two tiles in your hand. You've got this bag that has all the other tiles in it. And you place a tile and draw one and pass the bag. And it's the other player's turn. And at the beginning of the game, you're trying to group birds of similar colors together And however many you place together, you get that many points and move your point track or your marker around the point track. Once all of the tile spaces have been filled, you then look in the rows because you take ownership of a particular pagoda, either blue, green, or pink. And in the direction looking from your pagoda down the rows, you're grouping together flower colors and trying to see what you have most of there, and then um, in the rule book it explains to you if you've got uh, two different color flower, or you've got two of the same color flower, you get three points. Or if you've got three of the same color flower, you get five points. And that that again that rules explain or the point explanations in the rule book. And it's just a quick, simple game. Place yeah. a tile, pass the bag place the tile pl- past the bag. And you're making this beautiful kind of tile mosaic. I think it's really neat. Yeah.
0: Well, the reason why, what sold it for me to put it on this one is we brought this one to a game day at our local library. And a couple was there waiting for their their kids to do a an escape room there at the library. And they were just trying to kill some time. And, and Lara introduced this one to them. They were a non-gaming couple. And they picked this one up and had a great time with it.
1: Oh yeah, they really latched on to it. It was really wa- cool to watch that happen.
0: Mm-hmm. So definitely, Seikatsu is a is a good option. And speaking of mm-hmm. escape rooms, let's get to our final suggestion. Okay. I, I think that any of the escape room games, so like Exit or un- Unlock espe- especially, so like Exit or Unlock especially, Um, these are not board games in the the sense of the word, right? I mean, it's just, it's it's a tabletop experience. It's like an escape room. And so if you've got someone that doesn't want to use their brain, this is not the direction to go. Um, Because you definitely have to think about it. You've got to solve these puzzles. But it's not a board game like your partner may or may not think about it. And we've discussed that we prefer the Exit series to the Unlock, but they're both good. They're both fun. Mm-hmm. And while we think that, you know, if you've got about four people, you've got more brains working on these puzzles, it's probably preferable, but I still think it's a fun experience to play with with a partner. Yes. Like we did, we did an Unlock together, and that was fun.
1: Yeah, I had a good time with it.
0: And it's it's a kind of the, along the same lines as Consulting Detective. You can bounce all these ideas off of each other. And, like, Laura may have a certain piece of the puzzle that she's worked out. And I might be able to complete it with, with a thought that I'm having. It's a wonderful feeling when you have actually both worked together to come up with a solution to this puzzle. It's great. It's a great relationship builder. And, again... You can't technically lose because if you need it, you can just get hints as you play along. Your score's not going to be very good, but you'll eventually escape the room and get out. And a lot of the times the enlightening moment of, wow, that's how that puzzle works. Okay. You go again, going through that together as as a couple is a lot of fun. Any other words of wisdom about those games, Laura?
1: Um, I really think that, you know, more and more people are getting into the whole escape room uh, madness that's happening right now. They're just popping up all over the country and becoming incredibly popular in all sorts of realms. Um, team building, uh, offices going together for work just as a, an experience to try to b- bring everybody closer together. So I think it makes total sense that a couple sharing in that experience would become closer and so the fact that you can bring this home and do it right there in the privacy of your own home as a tabletop experience makes it all the more accessible for couples and and makes it and it just makes sense this would be a great time a, a date night experience absolutely uh, possibly of get some takeout and do an exit game or an unlock game or um escape from a stargazer's mansion or exit the game, you know, or what are those? No, it's the escape room, the game. Yeah. Uh, you can pick up a target as well. There are all kinds of them out there and, uh, definitely a great experience.
0: Truer words have not been spoken. Well, we would like to know, I know we've missed some. We would like to know if you have any suggestions, maybe you've had a particular game that worked well for you. If you have a non gaming partner, Let us know. Tweet to us. And what is our Twitter account, Laura?
1: Our Twitter handle is at MarriedWithBG. We are also on Instagram at MarriedWithBG and Facebook.com slash MarriedWithBG. And you can find links to all of our social media pages as well as our email addresses on our website, MarriedWithBG.com.
0: Yeah, and that's how Mike sent us this idea for the show was through email. So, um, email us, you know, whatever is your preferred method of contact, get in touch with us, let us know what your, what your favorite game for this situation is, and if you have any ideas for topics of discussion on the show, we'd love to hear those as well, um, you might just, just might make the show like Mike's did. Now, we have some announcements before we end the show, first of all, just kind of keep your eye open for some new content possibilities coming forward. Um, I'm not going to give you any more details because they're still being worked on, but this is going to be something pretty different than what we've been doing. So keep your eyes on that. And then also, you definitely don't want to miss next week's episode because it is the return of our listener survey. And we did Ooh. this last year. Yeah, we did this last year. We gave away one of those exit games, but uh, Laura, I think we have a a very nice prize to give away at this time, wouldn't you say?
1: I I definitely would say so. All
0: right. Why don't you tell everybody what it is? Or no, 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 no. Let's keep it a secret.
1: I think that's a that's a that's a great idea.
0: <laughs> okay. So, um. I'll give you a hint, though. Think about uh, just some things that Lara and I like, and um, some things possibly
1: that... Spencer's favorite game designer.
0: Possibly, who knows? And um, <laughs> so, be watching out for that. It's going to be a contest that's going to be running over the next four weeks from the start of the next episode. So don't miss that. You'll get all the details and a chance to win a fabulous prize that is out of this world.
1: Ooh, that's another little hint,
0: <laughs> Laura. Do you have anything else?
1: I do want to add something really quick. Go for it. Um, I feel bad that we haven't mentioned this before, so please forgive us, Pam. Uh, we have a we have a listener who follows us on Facebook and posted back on December the thirty first, asking if we could get some help identifying some game components. Um, she wrote. Uh, I hope it's okay to post this here. Just really curious and thought maybe you would know, which we don't. (laughs) Um, They, she recently bought a used game trains and included in it were some pieces um, and that she has included a picture of that do not appear to belong to trains. And so she's trying to figure out what game they belong to. So if anybody would Like to try to help us out with this mystery. It's on our Facebook account and in the visitors posts. Yes. And um, I'm sure she would appreciate any input you would have as to what on earth do these components go to?
0: What could they be? And if you solve the answer, I can't give you a prize, but we will thank you.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll mention your name on the podcast. Ooh, maybe. Okay, well that was all for me.
0: I don't have anything else. Therefore, this has been episode 35 of the Married with Board Games podcast. I'm Spencer. I'm Laura. Thank you so much for listening.